Will you stand with me? I would like for us to open by reading the Word of God. Uh, We stand out of respect, but also personally when I stand, it helps me to pay attention to the Bible verses I'm reading. So if you'll stand with me, that would be great. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to welcome you today. I am so excited about this series that we are starting called Adventus. Maybe you've been here with us for the past couple years. Uh, Adventus is a series that we do every Christmas. And Adventus comes from the Latin word meaning the arrival. And that's where we get the word Advent. And Advent is maybe a word you've heard before. It's found in a lot of Christian traditions um, to where they take the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve and they spend that time celebrating the arrival of Christ. Now one thing that you might know or might not know is there's actually two Advents. We celebrate the first one, that Jesus came to this earth as a baby. That's what we celebrate Christmas about. But honestly, a big part of Advent is that we celebrate in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. Knowing that God's not done yet, he is coming again for those who are followers of him. So that is what Advent is all about, celebrating the arrival of Christ, that he came as a baby and that he's coming again for us. Um, now one thing that we love to do here at South Crest is make this a tradition. Adventus is a tradition for us. And not only here for the adults, over in our kids' area, we have Bethlehem going on. You heard me right. I didn't say Bethlehem. I said Bethlehem. And so it's rocking over there. Our kids love it. If you have kids, they're going to have a blast this Christmas season. So make sure they're here for all of those. Um, But we also theme Adventus every year. And this year, our theme is Heaven and Earth. And what we're going to be doing during during this time is taking the story of Christ's birth and looking at specific people and specific instances And seeing how those people worshipped God in that moment. And how we can apply it to our lives. So I'm excited that we're getting to do this series on worship. It's something I've been waiting for for a long time. Been studying and preparing. Because I believe that God has something great to teach every single one of us this morning. As we come to look at worship. Um, Now I think it's very important for us to understand worship. Because I believe one of the reasons that God created us was to worship Him. 
And that we see this actually throughout this entire story of people worshiping God. So let me start by giving us the dictionary definition of worship. And let me tell you off bat, I really don't like it. Um, and so I'm going to give you the dictionary definition, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time building a new definition of worship so that we can apply to our lives. So the dictionary says that worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Now to me that sounds very conditional. The feeling. It's like, oh, sometimes I have a feeling that I want to worship God. Or, man, my morning's going great. The kids actually ate their breakfast. They got in the car. We made it here on time. I got my coffee. They played a song I like. I'm feeling like worshiping God today. I really don't like that definition. It just seems very conditional. And so it's important for us to understand what worship really is. And see, worship may be something different in your mind as it is to me, as it is to the next person, because maybe the way you grew up, Maybe it's a personal preference. Um, And and so I really want to take us through this story today and get some things that we all can apply to our life. But I noticed that when I'm texting a lot, there's a lot of emojis that describe worship. So I don't know if you use the emojis on your phone, um, but they're pretty funny and they're pretty cool. But I also found that a lot of them, we use them to apply worship, whether they are good or bad. So let's actually look at a couple emojis that we might think describe worship. So here's the first one. So I've seen this one. I've used this one a couple times. Like, oh, I'm worshiping God. Lightning bolts out of my fingers. All right? How cool would that be if we actually, that'd be pretty neat, wouldn't it? But we use this one whether we're talking about football. Hey, our team won. Praise God, right? I mean, some of you said that yesterday. Some of you aren't saying that today. But that's one thing we use to describe worship. Let's look at the next one. All right, I think this is a new one on the new update. And this one reminds me kind of of the movie Hitch, where he's like, keep it right here. Just keep it right here. Don't go anywhere else. <laughs> I see some of you worship, like, I'm keeping it right here. And that's totally cool. Keep it right there if that's where you want. Let's go to the next one. All right? You're like, man, I love to clap. Clapping's worship. It is worship. It describes that in the Bible. What's the next one? All right, some of you are like, man, it looks like y'all are dancing up there. One, no joke. One time I came off the stage from leading worship, and someone came up to the hallway, and they're like, man, were you dancing on stage? And I was like, I don't know, was I? Maybe. <laughs> and so some of you look at that and you're like, man, those people are crazy. That might be what you think. I don't know. The next one, man, you might think worship is a building. You might say, hey, I'm going to worship today. And you might say that on Sundays or Wednesdays. That might be what, the way you describe it. What's another one? Some of you are like, it is loud. It is really loud. Did you hear those, that drummer? Was he playing with baseball bats or drumsticks? I'm not sure. You, I don't know. That might be what you think about worship. And the last one, my favorite one is this. Like, uh-uh. I'm not doing it. I refuse. I'm not listening at all. So I don't know what you think about worship. And, and so obviously these are a goofy example maybe of what we think about worship. But we're going to look at the story of Mary today and see a couple things that we can apply. Because again, I believe it's important for us to understand this. And not just our personal preferences is really what those were. I don't want us just to understand our personal preferences. I want us to understand the word of God and how we get to apply it to our life. So what I want us to do first, though, is I want us to pray. And uh, I want us to pray a little bit different. So if everyone will bow their heads uh, and close their eyes. Um, A lot of today is about responding to God. And so I want us to start responding to God right now. If you are grateful for what Jesus has done in your life, will you just raise your hand for me? Wow. Okay, you can put your hand down. If you just need prayer for whether it's something good or something you're struggling with in your life, will you raise your hand for me? 
Okay, thank you. You can put it down. And then if you came in today saying, I want to hear from Jesus. Jesus, please speak to me. Will you raise your hand? Okay, if you raise your hand for any of those, will you, will you keep your hand raised? If you raise your hand for any of those three things. So we're responding to God right now. We're raising our hands to him. Let's pray. Jesus, God, with hands lifted high, Lord, we claim who you are, that you are the Son of God, that you are a Messiah, that you are a Savior. God, we know that you can hear us right now, that we have the attention of God Almighty. God, I pray, Lord, for everyone who has raised their hands for these things that we said. God, for people who are grateful, Lord, for what you've done. I raise my hand, Lord, in a green. God, that I am so grateful for what you have done for me. Just in your heart right now, thank God for what he's done for you. God, many raise their hands. They need prayer, whether it's for something good going on in their life or something they're struggling with. God, I pray you give them wisdom. God, I pray your presence would just flood their life, Lord, and they would hear from you, Lord, and take guidance, Lord, as they listen to you, as they read your word. Would you just ask God, Lord, to to give you wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom during this time. And then, God, Lord, I want to hear from you today. You've been speaking to me, God. I pray that today these are not my words, they are your words. God, shut me up when I do not need to speak. God, I pray people leave here, God, encountering you. And so if you raise your hand saying, God, I want to hear from you, just ask him, say, Jesus, please open my heart, open my mind, Lord, and let me leave change today. I want to be challenged by you and your word. God, I give everything about this to you. I believe your word preaches itself, God, so I claim the power of who you are. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me start by giving us a little history behind Mary. You may know this, you may not. So we find the story of Mary and the birth of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1 of the New Testament. Also, many theologians believe that Mary was around the age of 15 when we read the story. You might be thinking, wow, that's really early to be having a kid. It is for us. This was not weird for them. Back, th- back then, that was just their society. They had kids early and they got married early. And then also, Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph. And so that's kind of where we find this story. And so I want to read it for us. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. So let me read this for us. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit 
will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Can you imagine? Let's put ourselves in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Can you imagine this scene, what happened? She's a teenager, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. All right, a little more history, backstory. We find from the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, to the beginning of Matthew, there's about four to 500 years of silence. God had been silent. But in his silence, God was preparing to save the world. In his silence, God was still working. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. That maybe you feel like God is silent, but you need to know God never stops working. He's going to do something great in your life. But God breaks the silence with an angel. And all of a sudden, this teenager finds herself in the presence of an angel. I like it. What she said, she says, Mary was greatly troubled, meaning she was scared. What, I, I'll be honest, I might be too. If all of a sudden an angel popped up, I might be a little scared too. But I love this. The angel's like, hey, I got great news for you. She's probably thinking, sweet, I'm getting like the new camel, this new tent thing they just came out with, so I'm advertising it. He's like, great news, you're pregnant. I don't know about you, but I probably would have freaked out a little bit. Like, do what? I'm what? Did you, did you hear a response in here? I'm a, I'm a virgin. There's a certain thing, this action that has to happen. I haven't done that. And the angel's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a miracle. We got it covered. And then he's like, even more better news. You're not just only pregnant. You're pregnant with the son of God. Do what? Can you imagine that pregnancy? I understand a little bit of this because my wife, is, we're expecting our second child. And so I see the joy it puts on her face and the excitement that we both have. But I also see the morning sickness. I also see the back pain. I also see some of the other things that come along with it. That Mary probably never got to complain. I mean, I was really thinking about this because I'm living it. I was like... Mary probably woke up and was like, I'm about to throw up, I'm about to throw up, but I'm having the Son of God. I mean, you never like get to complain to yourself, do you? Oh, my back really hurts, my back, oh, but he's going to save me, right? I mean, it is just this really cool story that I love some of the interactions in the Bible. Later on in one of the verses, it goes on to where it's, there's a verse that says, Mary was obviously pregnant. That's, that's not something you say to somebody, I feel like. I don't walk up to women and go, you're obviously pregnant. Have you ever got that wrong, by the way? <laughs> Not fun. Luckily, I've never got it wrong. I've been there in person when someone has got it wrong with a friend, and it didn't go well. Um, but this, this story is just such a fun story to me. But it has such this deep meaning that God has just been working in my heart and that I've been applying to my life and that I want to share with you today. So here we go. What can we learn and apply about worship from the story of Mary? If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write these down. The first one is, worship is a reflection of our heart. Instantly in this story, I feel like we get 
a picture of Mary's heart. Because for me, I'll be honest, I might be like, man, this is such an interruption to my life. You realize I'm a teenager, I'm finishing up school, I have plans with my life, now all of a sudden you pop in and say I'm pregnant right now? I have a tendency to go, man, that's such an interruption for her. But then I started thinking about, did Mary see it as an interruption? I don't think she did because I think we can see a difference between an interruption versus her preparation. We see in Mary that no interruption in her life could outweigh the preparation of her heart. Please catch that. Mary's heart was so in love with God that no interruption could outweigh the preparation of her heart. She was prepared for anything God wanted from her. Because in here she said, God, I am your servant. Whatever you want, I will do. Does that right there not show how humble her heart was? That her heart was right with God. And another thing, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, is that it was obvious that Mary loved God. Because it was obvious that she had dug into the Old Testament scriptures, that she had heard them, that she had stored them up in her heart. That's what Mary would have had in her day, is the Old Testament scriptures. And it's obvious that she was in love with God, not just with her words, but with her actions, and by taking God's word and applying it to her life. I love this about Mary. You see, I asked myself the question, why did God choose Mary? so many other people he could have chosen. And I do believe it was because of her heart. I believe Mary got a new word from God because she loved the word of God. Mary might have been young, but she set such a great example for us. Today, I want us to be challenged by a lot of questions and be willing to ask ourselves to, to be stretched. I get people to ask, they'll ask me a lot of times, hey, I come in, I'm just, I'm just not engaged in worship. I'm just not feeling it. I'm, I just, I'm not really sure what to do. And I want to ask, have you prepared your heart? That's a tough question we have to ask ourselves. Because you see, worship isn't just a Sunday morning event. It's not just a Wednesday night event. It's our life. It's who we are. We get to worship God every second of every day. And if we go into every day and we haven't prepared ourselves by falling in love with God through reading his word, through praying, through spending time with him, then it's going to be tough to let our heart reflect that love for God. Mary was prepared, therefore it wasn't an interruption in her life. What I want to do is I want to share Old Testament scripture that I believe Mary would have heard and read and applied to her life that we can also apply today. This is one of my favorite parts about preparing for this, is thinking through that filter of that Mary would have read through this stuff. And so what would she have read that we can use to challenge us? Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen says this, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. I love that verse. As water reflects, as it mirrors our face, so our life, the way we live, the action with with which we live, the words we say reflects our heart. And so ask yourself, 
Does your life reflect your heart? I believe many of us today would raise our hands and say, man, I love Jesus. He's changed my life. But does your life reflect that? I had someone ask me one time, hey, if I had my friend who doesn't know Jesus follow you around for, for a week, do you think they would ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior? And it was kind of a gut check. It was like, man, that is humbling. That's hard to think about. Because hopefully most of you would look up here when I'm leading worship and go, man, that guy loves Jesus. But I hope you would say the same thing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I hope no matter what situation I'm in, you're able to see the reflection of my heart. And that's what I want to challenge us with. That we don't just come in on Sunday mornings and go, man, I love Jesus. But we walk out of this building and say, worship is not just an event I attend, it's a life that I lead. Does your life reflect Jesus? Number two, worship is a response to God. I think we all understand why responses are important. If we're married in here, we understand the way we respond to our spouse is important. Men, do you understand? Yep. All right. We understand that the way I respond to my wife is very, very important. Even the way maybe I say it. I might say thank you, but my wife, Lauren, can tell if my response is not genuine, if it's not full of joy, if I really don't mean it. How are we responding to God? Because hear this, the love of God begs for a response. Have you ever said I love you to someone and they didn't respond back? It's real awkward, really fast. And it's just heartbreaking. God is telling you that he loves you every second of every day. Are you responding back to him? By saying I love you, let me show you I love you. I love this. Mary and this story literally responds to God. We see this in verse uh, Luke one thirty eight, and also in verse 46. It says, Mary responded. She couldn't help but respond. Response is a reply. It's a call to action. And she responds in this, these verses, what's known as Mary's song of praise or Mary's Magnificat. And what Magnificat translates to from uh, Latin to English means my soul magnifies. Or means my soul declares the greatness of the Lord. And so I want to read this to you, the song of Mary. This is what we read to to open today. And for all the women who have ever been pregnant in here, you understand for Mary to be singing while she's pregnant, man, she must have been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) Mary says this, Starting with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. I love the way Mary responded right here. It's such a beautiful song that is filled with Old Testament sayings and quotes. And this is how I know that Mary loved the word of God. This is how I know that Mary was prepared. Because of the song she sang, she didn't just make this up. This is what God had been sowing in her heart for the 15 years of her life, 14 years, 18 years, whatever it would be around that time frame, God had been working in her life and she let it overflow with the song responding to him. What a beautiful, beautiful song. I love what she does in verse 46 and 47. And throughout this, we could break this down for days, seriously. I love this. But there's a couple things I believe we can apply. In verse 46 and 47, she recognized who God is and what he has done for her and for his people. She said, you are my Lord, you're my Savior, you're the Mighty One. This is a very practical thing you can do in worship. Because I have people ask me, hey, how do I worship? Like, what's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? One of the things you can do in worship is tell God who he is. Claim his goodness. Claim who he is. God, you are my savior. You are my best friend. You are my Lord. No one can compare to you. You've done so many great things for me. You took me out of addiction. You took me out of pain. You took me out of failure. You took me out of depression. You took me out of sin. And you have now put me into a life of love and hope and joy and forgiveness in you. Can anybody respond and say that's them today? That God has taken you out of your sin and put you into a new life. When you worship, tell God about it. He wants to hear from you. Tell him he's your daddy. Tell him he's your Lord. Express that to God. We need to be expressive in our worship to him. He wants us to respond. His love begs for a response. She goes on, how I rejoice in God my Savior. Then she claims that she's humble, that she has nothing without God. She owes God everything and God owes her nothing. When you walk into work, tell God who he is. When you walk into your family, tell God who he is. Maybe he's a restorer. Maybe he's your counselor. He's your hope. When you're with your friends, when you're in your class, tell God who he is. Respond to him in everything. Now I told you that I can just see how Mary's life is just full of what she learned in the Old Testament. And so again, I want to give you another example of how she learned this and who she learned it from in the Old Testament. So who was her example? Who responded in the Old Testament? We see Abraham. She would have read about how Abraham reminded himself of what God had done for him. And he worshipped. We see that in Genesis. 
She would have read about Moses and all the people of Israel who were in captivity in Egypt and God did not forget about them. God has not forgotten about you. God did not forget about them. He led them out of Egypt when the armies of Egypt came to attack them and kill them. He brought them through the Red Sea and saved them and freed them. And it says Moses and all of Israel danced and sang and played instruments before the Lord. Mary would have read that. That's in Exodus. Hannah, who saw God answer a prayer that she had been begging for. Hannah sang a song of thanksgiving to God, which mirrors exactly what Mary did here. Another way I know Mary read the Old Testament. So many similarities between her and Hannah's song. That's in 1 Samuel. She would have read how David danced before all of Israel. The king of Israel danced before them because he was celebrating what God had done. So 2 Samuel, she would have read about Solomon in 1 Kings, about how he raised his hands in front of the people. Solomon was the king, and he proclaimed the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You see, Mary would have read all these things and applied them to her life. How can we apply this to our life? How are we responding to God? I want to challenge us. Get us out of our comfort zone. That as you're thinking about how worship is a reflection of your heart, how worship is a response to God, you may think, man, I just want to raise my hands and thank God, just as Solomon did. God, thank you for what you've done. Or I raise my hands as a sign of surrender, going, God, I give everything to you. I trust you. Or God, I want to clap. I want to shout, just as the Israelites did, because God, you have rescued me from my sin that I thought was holding me captive, was destroying my life, destroying my family, but now I'm free in you. So God, I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to shout to you. I'm going to dance to you. God's love begs us to respond. How are we responding? responding how are we going to respond to God and I want us to know this the last thing worship is a relationship with God I love this one we have the attention of God almighty the God who created the universe the God who gives you the next breath you breathe we have his ear he is listening we have his attention and God wants our worship to be a relationship. He wants it to be personal. I love what we learned from Mary. She talked to God as if he was her best friend. She knew she was looking face to face with her creator. Have a conversation with God. Let it be personal. For her, her praise was personal. We actually read, she said her soul, her spirit offered praise. Let your worship be personal. You see, all the people knew during the time of Mary was that worship was a religion. They only knew the religious traditions, the religious acts that come with worship. What they knew is that they had to bring an animal, a cow, a sheep, a dove, whatever it may be, their best animal and offer it as a sacrifice to God. And I want to explain this thought and concept to you. Because this changed the way I viewed worship. I've sat down with many worship leaders in our church, adults and students, and we got to read over this and understand this concept, and it's changed the way they understand worship. 
So all they knew in Mary's time was, I have to go get my best animal. Because if they didn't, if they brought their cow, if they were like, man, I don't want to get rid of that cow because that's really good, so I'm going to grab this cow that is blind, or I'm going to grab this sheep that has a disease, and I'm going to try to trick God and bring it to him. They were in trouble. When we make our worship not about a religious act, about a relationship, we want to bring our best to God. Let me show you a verse that's going to help me explain this point. This is again in the Old Testament. Mary would have read this. Joshua 22. 26 through 28. So we decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. If they say this, our descendants can reply, look at this copy of the altar that our ancestors made. Check this out. So this is the people in the Old Testament talking about their altar. It's not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. It is a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the Lord. Worship is not a religious act or tradition. It's not an event you attend on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Worship is a relationship with God. Please catch this. Please understand it. And this is what changed my understanding and view of worship. Let me show you this verse, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. For a long time, I didn't understand this verse. How am I going to offer my body as a living sacrifice? I think Mary gives us the example and shows us. Imagine if we had an altar still today, if Jesus hasn't, if he didn't come yet, and he had not come as the ultimate sacrifice for us, we'd all be bringing animals. But Jesus came, that's what we're celebrating, the first advent. He arrived, he died for me and you, he took the sin that these people had to offer animal sacrifices for, that was the blood, but Jesus' blood covers our sin. But imagine that hadn't happened yet. We had to bring animals in here. You'd have to bring your best cow you possibly have, your best sheep, whatever it is, goat, and make sure it is the best you possibly have or it wouldn't be accepted. And this just blew me away. This, because of Jesus, we now get to offer our bodies as the sacrifice. We now get to bring the best of who we are and give it to Jesus. We don't see an altar in here as we would know in the Old Testament. But our life is the sacrifice that we get to present. Worship is not a religious act. Worship is a relationship. So I want to ask you, whether it is when you walk in here on Sunday morning, or whether it is when you walk into work on Monday morning, are you living your life as a life of worship saying, God, I'm going to wake up today and give you the best of who I am. This is my sacrifice. I want it to be holy and pleasing to you, just as this verse said. Because I can't help but think that would change the way we live. That would change our families. That would change our marriage. That would change our job situation. When God, I'm going to give you the best. Because then, remember that definition we talked about? It said worship's a feeling. It doesn't become a feeling anymore. Because no matter what your circumstances are, 
You want to come and give God your best because guess what? Your circumstances don't change who God is. His worth does not increase or decrease because of what has happened to you. We get to come in and say, God, here's the best of who I am. God, take it as my offering, as my sacrifice. Let it be holy and pleasing to you. I think it would change us on Sunday mornings. We wouldn't let a traffic light or no coffee left over. Our kids having a rough morning go, man, I just don't feel like worshiping today. We'd be exploding, overflowing with God. You are the great I am. You are the son of God. I praise you, Lord. We'd be walking into work going, man, I have a report due today. This is, I'm going to hate this or I've got to deal with so-and-so. We'd be saying, God, how can I live my life as a life of worship to you today? It changes who we are. Worship is not a religious act. It's not something we just come to on Sunday and Wednesdays. Worship is our life and it's a relationship. Are you offering your life as a sacrifice to God? Because that is what worship is. That's what the Bible just defined for us. So here's what I think worship, our new definition is. Our desire to glorify God in every decision and action we make. Will you hold on to that for me? Will you let that just sink in and be who you are? Will you apply that not just when you walk in here and you're now challenged to raise your hands or clap or to sing, whether it's in tune or out of tune? Will you apply that to your family? That you get to worship God when you make a decision about your marriage. You get to worship God when you make a decision about your kids. Students, when you're in school, you get to worship God by making a decision about how you're going to treat that person. When we think of worship that way, it changes everything. I also had this thought. You see, Mary obviously got to carry the, the presence of God in human form. It's crazy, but it's crazy cool. Mary wasn't only changed physically, she was changed spiritually. And I think this applies to us and works vice versa. You see, Jesus doesn't only change us spiritually. He changes us physically. I want people to be able to see Jesus in me. Not just go, yeah, I'm sure he's prayed to receive Christ. I want people to see the change in me. I want them to be able to see that I worship God every single day, not just when I'm standing up here on stage that my life is a response to God in worship. Do people see that in you? When we have Jesus in our life, he doesn't just change us on the inside, he changes us on the outside as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, you are such a good God. Lord, I want to apply what I've learned and claim who you are. Lord, you are my savior. You're my best friend. You're the one I run to when I want to celebrate. You're the one I run to when I want to cry. And God, I pray today, Lord, that we have all been challenged. Lord, that we would let our heart reflect our love for you. God, that we would respond to your love and that we would make it a relationship with you and not just a religious act. But if you're in here today, and you're like, man, I didn't know the details of the story, or, and 
and you've never met Jesus and you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, the greatest way you can respond to God right now is to respond to his love and say, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Because you see, I said this a few minutes ago. We all have sin. We all have ways we've messed up in our life against God. Every single one of us, none of us are perfect. And that separates us from God. And the reason Jesus had to come to this earth as a baby is because he had to live a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he died on a cross, which was the punishment we all deserved for the sins in our life. But he died on that cross, so we didn't have to. And his blood covers our sins, just as we were talking about the animal sacrifice. We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus came as the final sacrifice. But maybe you didn't know that, or maybe you've heard it before and you've never responded to it. Let today be the day that you respond to God's love and say, I need Jesus in my life. 